Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new, joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You can also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. We are honored that you are worshiping with us here at Quad City. However, you are getting connected today. For those of you online, welcome in today. For those of you in Prescott Valley, so grateful to have you with us today. If you're here in the room in Prescott, great to have you with us as well. Uh, if you're a newcomer, we are in the middle of a series through the book of the Bible called Romans, and we're calling it the Gospel for everyone. And we are just walking through it line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so we want to invite you in on the journey with us today. And we've made it all the way to chapter four. Now, one of the things that we've done throughout this series is uh, we are declaring that we're going to read the whole thing from this platform. And so today we're going to do that in chapter four. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Romans chapter four. If you have your book, uh, your Romans notebook, if you've got the updated corrected version, page 74. That's what we're going to be today. So I invite you to grab your text. And if you are able, I invite you to stand with me as we read our text today. Uh, just want to warn you, it's a little bit of a lengthy text today. So it's going to be a bit of a grind to get through it. Hang in there with me. We're going to go chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. So that's our text for today. This is the word of the Lord. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works... Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. 
Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but not, have the, but not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is the father, then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. There's a lot there. Let's see if we can unpack some of it. Father God, we are grateful that this is your word. And it is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. You have something in it for us today. So open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for walking through that. I told you it was a lot today. We have finally made it to the good news. So uh, I shared with you this quick outline of the book of Romans The first 17 chapters is simply a, hey you, this is an introduction, Paul introducing himself to this church that he's never been to. He's never met these people, and he says, hey, great to hear from you and to you, got some words for you. Then he jumps in. The first three and a half chapters are all bad news, like we spent two and a half months learning how awful we are, and my hope is that you've begun to realize you're worse than you ever imagined. Like, you are more depraved than you gave yourself credit for. You underestimated the depravity that you have endured in your life. And so, hopefully, the weight of that depravity sat on you for a while. Last week, Grant came in, and he got to share with us the good news. And the good news is that righteousness that you are required to have to have a right standing before God, that righteousness that's required of all of us, the righteousness that you did not obtain, you could not obtain, you never will obtain, was gifted to you by Jesus. Death on the cross. His atoning sacrifice gifted you a righteousness from God that you could not earn yourself. You didn't earn it. You couldn't earn it. You just got to receive it by faith in Jesus. That is the good news. And you are way too underwhelmed right now at the good news. Like, that should be a cause of celebration for us. Like, all of that depravity that we had to sit under for two and a half months gets lifted by faith in Jesus. You all are awfully unimpressed. It all gets taken away through the atoning death of Jesus. And we've been made right with God through faith, and that's amazing. So that was the news that we learned last week. But as Paul does often through this letter, he recognizes that when he shares a truth like that, that there are some times that people just don't get it, and they've got some questions, and there needs to be some clarification, specifically in this instance, to the religious side of the room, to the to the to those who grew up with a Jewish heritage. They hear what Paul says and it blows their mind. They don't quite understand it, what Paul is saying. And he 
like a good debater, he anticipates their confusion. He, he anticipates their question. Because Paul's been teaching this for 20 years before he taught it to the Romans. So he knows the questions that are getting raised by the things that he is saying. And he does a great job of raising the question and then answering them. And so what is the question? We find it at the end of chapter 3. Paul has just shared, there's this amazing gift, a righteousness of God has been revealed by faith. And again, some of the religious people in the room, those who grew up in the synagogue, who'd memorized the Torah, who had been to the temple, who had offered the sacrifices, they've prayed the prayers, they've fasted every week, they're generous, they hear all of this, they've been obeying the law, they hear Paul saying, it's all by faith, it's all by faith in Jesus, and something in them wells up and says, but wait a second, what about all of those laws that we followed? What, what about all of those commands that we obeyed? What about all of the expectations that God clearly had for his people for thousands of years? What, is, what about all of that? Did, did none of that stuff matter? Was all of that stuff for nothing? Paul addresses the question this way. He brings it up by asking, do we then nullify the law by this faith? I just told you there's a faith that brings a righteousness from God, and it's a gift. So does that mean we nullify the law by this faith? Paul answers, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Their concern was God had a system of people being right before him through the law, through the sacrifices, through the temple, through the system that he set up. Is this by faith peace that you're teaching us, Paul? Does that nullify all of that? Does that undo all of that? Is that replacing all of that? To which Paul says, no, it's not replacing that. It's not even a new system. Actually, this piece of faith is actually fulfilling the thing that you thought was going to save you all along. It's a fulfillment of the law. We're upholding it. We're actually seeing it come to fruition today. In fact, this, this system of saving people by faith, it actually isn't new. It's not new at all. It's always been that way. That's the only way you've ever been able to obtain righteousness with God. And to prove it, to prove that point, Paul says, so let's talk about the father of faith. Let's talk about where faith, righteousness with God started to begin with. So Paul's going to go all the way back to the beginning of the people who had the first righteousness before God. And he's going to ask the question, how did they get it? How did he get it? Which brings us to chapter four. What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. I always like to remind you that little chapter break between three and four in your Bible, Paul did not put that in there. Your beloved Bible publisher put that in there. This is all one continuous thought. So Paul asked the question, does this new faith nullify the law? Not at all. In fact, let me remind you, what did our father Abraham discover about this matter? between the law and faith. So it's all one thought. So let's pause and talk about Abraham for just a second. Abraham is universally regarded as the father of faith. In fact, there are three world religions that all trace their 
heritage of their faith back to Abraham. Jews, Muslims, and Christians. 57% of the world's population today point back to Abraham as the beginning of their faith that they practice. So that's Abraham. So the majority of the planet look back to Abraham as the father of their faith. And so Paul steps back and says to these people in the church, Let's, let me remind you of what it was that got Abraham a right standing before God. The historically religious people in the room were thinking, well, it was Abraham's obedience. It was Abraham obeying the law. It, Abraham ob- obeyed his way in. He earned that righteousness, that goodness with God by his life. And Paul's going to tell us that's not true. That's not how it happened. In fact, I'm sorry, if in fact Abraham was justified by his works, if Abraham got right before God by the things that he did, then he had something to boast about. Like if it was Abraham standing up and he got right before God by being obedient, by following a set of rules, by him putting certain acts in place, by his own effort, by his moral upstanding righteousness, Paul admits if he did it on his own, then he had something to boast about. But not before God, because he didn't have a righteousness before God. He might brag to other people, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, but he had no standing to brag before God, because his righteousness wasn't righteous enough. That was the first three chapters. We already learned that. I won't remind you too much of that today. So Paul asked this question, what does the scripture say What does the scripture say? He's talking to the religious side of the room. What does scripture say? You all know this. What does it say? And he quotes a passage from Genesis. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So speaking to those who knew, he says, what does it say? Go back. What does it actually say? Don't tell me what you believe. What does the scriptures say? They all knew. You probably don't, not everybody. So let me just remind you. It comes from Genesis chapter 15. God shows up to a guy named Abram. He's not Abraham left. I'm sorry, not Abraham yet. His name will be changed later. His name's Abram. Never met God. God comes to him, calls him out. And he says to Abram, Abram being a 75-year-old man who is childless, never had any children, God says to him, Abram, I want you to go outside, look up into the night sky, and count the stars if you're able. And I always just help paint the picture. Imagine how many stars Abraham would have been able to see out in the desert in a world without electricity. And God says to him, count them if you can. That's how great your descendants are going to be. That's how, many, uh, how, much you're, how much offspring you're going to have. Just put yourself in his shoes for just a moment. You're 75 years old. Some of you, that's not hard. You're 75 years old, and your wife is old, okay? She's barren. She's never been able to conceive. She wasn't able to conceive in her 20s. She couldn't conceive in her 30s. She couldn't conceive in her 40s. And now she is in her elderly years. And God says to you, 
You see these stars? That's how many your descendants are going to be through her. What are you going to what are you going to feel in that moment? What are you going to do in that moment? How are you going to respond in that moment when God says that to you? Probably with a hearty belly laugh. Like, are you kidding me? Not her. God, you crazy. But Scripture says, what does Scripture say? How did he respond when God says that to him? Abraham believed God. He believed him. He believed that God was telling him the truth, that what God said was going to come to pass. Abraham had faith that what God said was true and that it was going to happen and that, that believing God was credited to him as righteousness. That word credited is really, really important. The word credited means credited. It's a banking term. It means it's something got deposited into his account. Abraham's righteousness account was empty. And when he believed God, God deposited into his righteousness account a sum of righteousness that he could never earn on his own. It was credited to him. He didn't earn it. It was a gift. God filled up his righteousness account. It was deposited on his behalf. Abraham's righteousness did not come as a result of his obedience. He hasn't obeyed anything yet. He hasn't even done anything yet. It wasn't a result of, of him asking for God to fill his righteousness account. He didn't ask. He didn't even know to ask. It wasn't a result of his family tree or the religion of his origin. None of that. His account was credited deposited in, filled up with righteousness because he believed God was going to do what God said he was going to do. And I just need to make sure you hear this correctly today. Abraham didn't just believe in God. Abraham believed God. Do you recognize the difference? He did not just believe in God, he believed God. He believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. There are lots of people who say they believe in God, but the question today is, do you believe God? Do you believe him? Like, do you believe he's going to do what he says he's going to do? Do you believe that he is going to bring both eternal life and eternal death? Do you believe he's going to do that? Do you believe that he is he's going to bring about both joy, eternal joy, and eternal judgment? Do you believe him? Do you believe that there's, do you believe God when he says there's only one way into the kingdom through Jesus Christ? And only a few find it. Do you believe him? Do you believe God when he when he says that Christ's atoning death covers all of your sin. All of them. That Christ's death covers all of your sin. Do you believe him? 
That his death will pay the penalty for all of your sin. But outside of Christ, you'll pay for them yourself. Do you believe him? I'm not asking you if you believe in God. It's not the question. Satan believes in God. That's, not an, that's nothing to brag about. The question isn't do you believe in him. The question is do you believe him? That he's going to do what he says he's going to do. That his promises are going to come to pass. Do you believe him? He says if you do, you believe him. Abraham believed him and it was credited to him as righteousness. And again, that word credited is important for us to hear. Why? Because now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift. But they are an obligation. Okay, so think through this for a second. When somebody works, they get paid for their work. And that check that comes at the end of the week or deposits into your account, that that check, those dollars are not a gift. It is a wage. It is something that has been earned. They're not being given anything. They are receiving what they have earned. For their work. That is the way working works. When you do a job for someone, they owe you. In fact, if you go do a job for someone, the job is finished, that person that you've done the work for is actually indebted to you until they have paid for services rendered. That's why you get a past due bill because the service has been rendered and now you are indebted to the one who did the work. That's the way working works. And whether we would admit it or not, many of us operate with that same mindset when it comes to God. We wouldn't say it this way, but it's how we operate. Let me show you what I mean. Have you ever felt like God owed you something? Have you ever felt like God owed you something? Like because you did the thing that God wanted you to do, now God owes you. Because you read your Bible and you said your prayers and you sent in the seed money and you forgave your ex and you stayed celibate mostly. Like now that you did the thing, God owes you. You put in the work. So now God owes you. And you say something like, God, you you owe me. You owe me a more comfortable life than I'm having right now. You owe me more financial margin. You owe me a husband or a child or a weekend getaway. You owe me health or you owe me healing. You owe me safety or you owe me security. You owe me a loving marriage because I've I've been faithful, so you owe me that, God. You owe me a bigger house or a better job. You owe me long life. You owe me clarity on all of my life decisions. You owe me heaven, God. You owe me because I've been a good person. What you're saying in that moment is that because I have worked and I did the thing, what I get from God now is not a gift. It is an obligation. 
God owes me. And if that's you, you just need to know that is a really dangerous place to be. And I just want to set the record straight today. This is so important. You will never have God in your debt. Ever. God owes you nothing. In fact, you don't want what you have earned. This was last week, right? For the wages of sin is death. What you've earned, what God owes you, you don't want it. You've earned eternal separation from life and the life giver. That's what you've earned. That's the wages you are entitled to. You don't want what you've worked for. You will never have God in your debt. But the good news is, the very same faith that filled up Abraham's empty, righteous account is available to you. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, that's me, pick me, that's me, the one who trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited to them as righteousness. The same thing that happened with Abraham is available to us. That God, when we trust him, he justifies us even though we are ungodly. And it's their faith that gets credited to them just as it was credited to Abraham. Now, I want to talk about this word faith for just a moment. Because if nothing else happens today, I want you to walk out with a picture of what this word faith means, okay? What do we mean when we say faith? Abraham had faith. He believed God. We get it. We trust God. I get that. What does it mean? How do we know if we're doing it? How did it look when Abraham did it? And how do we know if, we're, if our righteousness account teeters on us having faith, how do we know if we truly have faith? So I was trying to think of how to illustrate this. This is the best I could come up with. Uh, several months ago, back in the spring, our staff will take a couple of days away, usually in the spring and in the fall, and we'll do some planning for the year, sermon planning, prep, casting vision, make sure we're all moving in the same direction. We did that this spring, and we decided we'd go up to Flagstaff. And while we were there, uh, Brendan, our executive pastor, thought it would be fun for us to do some team building time at Flagstaff Extreme Adventure. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, it is a high ropes course there in Flagstaff. So you climb up into the trees and they have all sorts of different obstacles that you have to manage up 20 feet in the air. Okay, So this is what we did. And so I started in the back and let everybody else kind of go. And I was hanging back with some slow people in the back. And then I'm like, I can't do this. I'm really competitive. I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a super competitive kind of guy. And eventually I'm like, I got to pass people. And so I just took off running. Okay. Now there were some smart people who never got up into the trees. They were just looking at us like we were stupid. And then there were other people who would stop halfway through because that's what quitters do. 
I, however, am pushing through. I'm like, I'm going to finish this thing, even though it gets harder as you go. And so I'm pressing through, and I'm passing people, and I get, and so finally, we get toward the end of the thing, all right? This is me. I'm sitting on this platform up here. I know it's a little dark. I can't really see it very well. That's me sitting on this platform. You get to the very end of this thing, okay? You have all of these different obstacles, and you finally get to the end, and the last, the last obstacle is there's just this platform that you stand on, and there's this little black box hanging from the tree, and from this black box, there is a rope that's about four foot long, and there's a carabiner on the end of this rope, and you stand there, and you're looking at this thing. There's no ladder. There's no elevator. There's no boom lift coming to get you. It's the platform 25 feet in the black box. There's nobody around, all right? So there's been some people who finished in front of me. There's people still coming behind me. But I'm standing there on the platform by myself. Nobody on, like, no instructions. Now, I'm a fairly smart guy. I recognize what's supposed to happen here. This little black box is an automatic belay system. What that means is you can take this rope from this black box and you can just pull it out of the box. And that rope will just go as far as you want it to. Like, it'll pull up on the ground. Like, there's way more rope in there than there is distance to the dirt. And you can just slowly pull this thing all the way down, and it won't do anything. It's made for climbers. Like, if you're climbing, you put this thing on, and you climb the wall, and it will do nothing. The only way that this black box does anything is if you fall. You got to fall. The way this thing is designed is the black box. You go in, and then you, once you fall, then it will engage a mechanism inside the belay and slowly let you down. But you got to fall. So I recognize what's supposed to happen here. I'm supposed to take that little rope and put it into my harness and step off the platform. Now, it's easy in that moment to believe in the black box. (laughs) I mean, there have been other people who have finished this thing. I know that what it's supposed to do, and I know that it works. There's not a pile of dead bodies on the floor. It works. Like, they wouldn't put it up here if it was a liability hazard. These things work. I know that they work. I've seen them work. And it's one thing to say that when you're standing on the platform. That's what I want you to picture when you hear this word faith. Believing in my head that this thing is work, that it works, is a lot different than trusting that it's going to work for me. Faith, I want you to hear this today. Faith is not climbing some ladder trying to attain something. In fact, faith is just the opposite. It is letting go of something. Faith is letting go of something. Faith is not achieving something. Faith is releasing something. Faith is releasing control. Faith is actually quitting on your self-sufficiency and putting complete trust in something outside of yourself. That's what faith is. Faith is a cosmic trust fall. 
like you probably did that right. You did some kind of team building thing with your office and you went through the process and everybody does the trust fall, right? Where you're standing on a picnic table with your heels on the edge and all the rest of your teammates are standing beneath you like this. And they say, ready? And somebody says, fall. And you're standing there And you've seen other teammates do this, and your job in that moment on the edge of that picnic table is you've got to cross your arms, and you just slowly begin to fall backwards. Now, again, it's not blind faith. You've seen them there. You've heard them say, we will catch you. But at some point, you have to begin to fall backwards. And as you do, more and more of your weight is taken off of your legs and off of that picnic table. And at some point as you're falling, there is a point of no return. Like as you are falling back, there is a point to whereby if you changed your mind, it doesn't matter. It's either they're going to catch you or you're going to end up in the dirt. That point of no return, where your weight has shifted completely off of your legs and off of that table, that's the place where faith begins. That's what I want you to see, is that point of no return. I'm standing on that platform, and I have a decision to make grab the clip, and I put it in my harness, and I, my heart rate goes up, and I step off the platform, and in that moment, what happened next was completely out of my control. Either the black box was going to do its thing, or I was going to end up mangled at the bottom of a tree. That's faith. Stepping off that platform was my faith inactive. It was not me taking control. It was me releasing control. I was no longer trusting in myself. I was completely dependent upon something outside of me to save me. And that's the exact kind of faith that God is looking for. Abraham knew His wife was barren. barren. Having a kid was completely out of his hands. All he could do was to clip into the promise that God had given him and step off the platform to believe that God would do what he said he was going to do. It was an act of complete release. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, Paul uses Abraham as an example, but he says that Abraham isn't alone. He's not the only one. David, you got Abraham, who's the great father of faith, and then you got David, who wrote the hymn book of faith. David says the same thing, Paul says. He says the same thing when he spoke of the blessedness of, of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from the law. Even David got it that God credits righteousness apart from the thing that we do. Blessed, he's quoting David now, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, not earned, forgiven, whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the one who sinned. The Lord will never count against them. Even though God had every right to count it against them, God chooses not to count their sins against them. That's faith. And then Paul asked the question, is this blessedness? Is it available to everyone? Is this blessedness only for the circumcised, for the religious, for those who grew up with the faith? Or is it also for the uncircumcised, the irreligious, those who didn't have faith? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstance? Again, Paul anticipating, trying to help us all think through this. Under what circumstance was it credited? At what point did Abraham get righteousness credited to him? Was it after he was circumcised or was it before? And the answer is, it was not after, but before. If you were here in chapter 2, we've already learned this. It was before, like way before. Like Abraham was credited righteousness in Genesis chapter 15 when he was in his late 70s. He was not circumcised until he was 99. 25 years later, 25 years between the time he was declared righteous, his righteous account was full, and the time he was circumcised. So Paul says it was not after, it was before. He received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And again, this matters for us. It wasn't the outward act of circumcision that got credited to him as righteousness. It was his faith. It was his faith. And this would have blown the Jewish people's minds. Abraham was declared righteous by the faith that he had while he was still uncircumcised. It wasn't the circumcision that made him righteous. He was righteous for 25 years before that. Here's why it matters for us. So then, he is the father of us all, of all of us who believe but have not been circumcised in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. He's a, if you are here today and you didn't grow up in the faith of Abraham, you still get a chance to be in his family. He is the father of all of us who believe. Believe, that's the important piece so that we get righteousness credited to us. And he is the father also of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, it's not about the circumcision, but also follow in the footsteps of faith. Getting circumcised doesn't make you child of Abraham. He says that's not what it's about. It's about those who follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Abraham is the father of all of us who believe, all of us which means he's the father of the uncircumcised who have faith and the circumcised if they have faith. This would have been a crazy idea to these Jewish people in this church, but it is a glorious promise for the rest of us. Because we don't have to be from Abraham's bloodline to be one of Abraham's children. You just have to follow in the footsteps of Abraham's faith. And what God did for Abraham, crediting his righteousness account, running it over, God will do it for you if you're walking by the same faith that you believe God like Abraham believed God. 
So here's the question that I have for you today. Have you stepped off the platform? Have you fully trusted Jesus to save you? Where you've transferred all of the weight of your salvation onto him. And if he comes through, you're in. And if he doesn't, you will fail. But it's all on him. Have you stepped off or are you still trying to hang on? You're still bearing some of the weight on your own legs to hold you up. Have you fully trusted in him, releasing all control of your salvation? It's not about what I have done or what I can do. I'm totally trusting you, Jesus. Because I believe you. I believe you when you say I can't get there on my own. And I believe you when you say that Jesus died in my place and for my sin. And through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, I too can have a new life that starts now and never, ever, ever, ever stops. Do you believe him? Not in some ethereal way in your mind, but so much so that you're putting all of your eggs in that basket. Step off the platform. And it's Jesus or nothing. That's the kind of faith that God's looking for from all of us. And if you haven't done that yet and you want to talk with somebody about doing that, please stop by and talk with our prayer team. Stop by Connection Central, either here or in Prescott Valley. Let somebody help you to step off the platform and clip all of your hope onto the promise of Jesus. Lord, we are so grateful for grace that catches us, that it is the only thing that will save us, the grace that comes through the faith we have in Jesus. And so today, I pray you would do your work, that you'd help us all to step off the platform, that we'd let go of all the things that we're trying to do to save ourselves because we haven't actually believed you when you say it's only through Jesus. Do your work among your people today. May we be people of faith. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.